All right, got your Bible? I really messed myself up. No, I started seeing some things that I'd never really seen before, and it's messed with me. And then I told you, you know, that I'm going into how to build hope. I started talking about the will of man because we have a, a strong force. Uh, I, I found an old video message from Lester Sumrall, if you know who he is, powerful man of God, uh, talking on the will of man is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. I thought, wow, that's powerful. And uh, so I'm going to recap kind of some things that I talked about last week. And, but really, I'm not trying to recap. I'm going to expound upon them. But a lot of it is recapped, and then I'm going to go into uh, starting with how do we rebuild hope so that because I, I told you last week that with when you have a solid hope, your will and your determination is there with it. And my whole, my whole platform on this is how do we internalize the Bible so that we operate it from an internal element, not that we have to think about it. Remember, most people have watched that movie, um, uh, Wax On, Wax Off, what's it? Um, Karate Kid. And uh, the master was having him wax, building muscle memory, so that when he got in a fight, he didn't have to think about how to block a punch. He just automatically waxed off, waxed on. And he, he had the movements down and he thought it was the stupidest thing because I want to fight I don't want to wax cars but but the master was building something and we've got to come to the place that our natural response is the word of God that we internalize the word and this is the thing that I've been trying to figure out is how do we make that happen so let me go back to Sunday Sunday was a great uh, two great services very powerful and in thinking about the messages and their testimony uh, the Morses testimony they basically had it all all together they had a now they said a seven room house i don't in some places uh, i think in russia don't you guys say like if it's a seven room house you count the kitchen as a room is that true or are they all bedrooms okay so so uh tammy said she told them seven bedrooms they had a large house to have a seven bedroom house and uh uh they traveled whenever they wanted they you know he was the largest soccer a retailer in the area and um, or in the country I think is what he said and God tells him walk away from it and walk with me okay now that's great to hear a story right it's not so great to live the story see and that's where we that that's the internalization is what God has for us is greater than what we can provide but it's easy to say that but it's not so easy to live that because now I got to deal with things that I'm trusting in and that trust becomes so. So one of the key points of last week was how do we see what we don't see? Because if you can't see it, you can't see it. But we've got to come to the place that we can see what God is saying, because how can we obtain what we can't see? So if if we can't see it, but God wants us to see it, then we have to adjust our seer. And, and you know, when you're driving a car, you got that blind spot. Have you ever almost hit a car because of a blind spot? There's like a two-ton vehicle right there, and you couldn't see it. You turned your head, but it was in your blind spot. We all have blind spots. <coughs> so how do you get rid of your blind spot? Well, you get a car that has navigation on it, a little light that blinks and tells you there's a car there where you can't see it. Okay, so that, that's a way to see something you can't see. So spiritually... How do we do that? So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 
verse I quote all the time, uh, but we're going we're gonna to launch off here. For while we look not at the things which are seen. So number one is you have to have control of sight. You and I are in possession of or have the power to control what we look at. And, and a lot of times we just randomly see instead of purposely looking. So he says, well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So here he's, Paul's saying to the Corinthians that you, you've got to make a determination to see what you can't see. I, I guess on one side, this kind of sounds really dumb. But on another side, if, if you don't train yourself to see what you can't see, then, then you're going to, um, you know, uh, you, you've seen movies probably where they train do- uh, bomb-sniffing dogs. And they'll send them out in front uh, because they can smell the landmines. Okay, now now they're not seeing, but they're smelling. But but the reason they're doing that is so they can find something they can't see. They know there's more there than a dirt road. <clears throat> so we've got to find out how to see what we can't see. So they train dogs to go out in front of them. We, we, we can, the Bible would not tell us this if we were not able to do this. So then he goes on. So point number two is... Uh, there's a reality or there has to become a reality that there are things that are fixed that they don't alter. And there are things that are subject to change. Okay. So he goes on to say, for the things which are seen are temporal. Temporal means subject to change. You know, we've got a nice chair right here, but at some point in time, that chair is probably going to be broken down and, and not get, it's subject to change. It's, it's wearing away. There's things in this life that are temporal. Um, problems we come into. Has anybody ever had more than one problem in life that you had to deal with? Okay, well, to have more than one problem, the problems had to be temporary. They came in, we had to deal with them. We might not have liked walking through it, but then we got through it. It was temporary. It was subject to change. But we are to look at the things which are the things which are not seen that are eternal. So the things that are in the word of God are eternal and we have to be able to see what is in here over what is right here, what's facing me. Does that make sense? Okay, so so I'm going to do a little activity right here and in just a minute we're going to flash a screen up on the, uh, uh, on the, uh, the TV. Uh, now, this is not a profession. It's not even anything important. It's just an activity, okay? So, I mean, don't try to understand what's being said. I, we're just going to read it together. So when I have them put it up there, we're just all going to read out loud, kind of like we do our profession, but this is not a profession. This is just a, a reading assignment, okay? So you don't have to scream it out, but, but verbalize it, even if it's just a small verbalization, even like this. Um, just play along with me, okay? How many will play along with me? Okay. So, uh, so he's going to put the screen up, and then we're going to start reading. So go ahead. Finished. Read with me. Finished files are the result of years of scientific study combined with the experience of many years of experts. Okay, take it off. All right, that was real interesting, wasn't it? Now, here in a minute, I'm going to have him put it back up, up there. All right? And I, he, it's just going to be up there for a few seconds. And I want you to count how many letter Fs are in this. So just go through it and count the letter Fs. Okay, you understand your assignment? All right, go ahead, put it back up there. 
Okay, go ahead and take it off. All right, so how many people got four? Raise your hand. I wanna, I'm going to count these, so just raise your hand. If you got four, we got one, two, three. We've got three people got four. Okay, I'm going to tell you. There's three people that could not see Fs. Okay, how many people got five? All right, wait a minute. One, two, three, four. So we got four people that got five. Okay, so we have four people that can't see Fs. Okay, how many people got six? Four. So we got four people that got six. Okay, so they're pretty close, but they can't see some Fs either. All right, there's actually seven Fs in there. Go ahead, put it back up. Oh, I didn't ask. How many got seven? Well, you guys have done this numerous times. Okay, one. Yurik got seven. Good job, Yurik. Uh, and uh, Andrew got seven. Okay, now, the reason being is finished has a very F sound. Files has a very F sound. Of does not. You, you couldn't see the ofs. Okay, so, so the il this illustration is, because everybody has experienced that letter before, right? It's not like it's foreign to you, you, you know. Uh, but but you, there are things we can't see. It can be right before our eyes. We read it, we looked at it, and yet still, you know, half the people in here didn't raise their hands, so... They didn't participate. But, uh, but still, uh, it's very, and, and like I said, on, on driving, there's blind spots. We cannot see a car sometimes. So don't think this is nothing. If you can't see what God is saying, it's going to hinder us. Now, God hides things <clears throat> so that people won't just stumble in. It's our responsibility to seek out. Now, life happens very quickly, but we have to train ourselves to not be moved by what we see. And this has got to become so real that I know that even though I'm, I'm facing this and it looks like that, this has said something that will overpower that. This is the internalization of it. Are you, are you tracking with me? All right. Now, last week I talked about four components. And, and in the four components, there's, there's a processes that we go through. Now, I'm not going to go back. We read it out of 2 Chronicles. I'm not going to go back to the verse. But the four components are a perfect heart. Now, that word perfect doesn't mean without error. It means complete or whole. What it means, it, it really means in the complete or whole of a perfect heart is fully committed. You're, you're all into it. You're completely into it. We, it. we talked about a willing mind, a perfect heart, a willing mind, thoughts, and imaginations. Now, these are all very real components of how we operate, is that when our heart and our mind and our thought and our imaginations all come congruently together, we are committed to something. This is where we, we struggle because... We intellectually know we should, we want to. You know, Ralph talked about stewardship, but then there's the bling-bling that we want to buy. We know we should, and we know we really don't have the money, but we want it, okay? Because we're not really committed to the stewardship, because this looks like it's more fun. Same thing with diets. We do the same thing with that. We, we know we should. We get on a program, and, but then it's Taco Tuesday. And, uh, you know, or, or whatever it is your thing is uh, that you like. 
And, and so now what I want over, because I really wasn't fully committed. Now, have you ever been fully committed to something? Yeah, you weren't, uh, you weren't moved by other stuff. I mean, back in the day, everybody knows your testimony. Were you fully committed in that lifestyle? Ain't nobody going to stop you. Nobody can change your mind. Nobody can change your mind. You, you, and and it, it's amazing because probably during that time, you thought you knew the answer to everything. I mean, see, see we, we function in a certain way because of commitment. I'll tell you, we're all committed to something. We're all fully committed to something. Say, so, well, I just, I just can't commit. Well, you're committed to being lazy probably. That's why you can't commit, because you won't put, put effort in. Because commitment takes effort. We're, we're committed to something. We, we have ideas, we have thoughts. So, so go to Genesis chapter 11. Amen. The, Genesis chapter 11 is the building of the Tower of Babel. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole story. We're just going to read verse 6 and 7. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Now, stop and think about this, because we know the end of the story that God separated them by their language. They went all over the world. People went all to you know, different places. They congregated with people they could speak with. There was a lot of people there. So now, knowing from the end that there was a lot of people there, let's roll it back to what God was looking at them. There was a commitment level on something. Because you know in any construction project, you, you got people out there digging up whatever they make mud out of or bricks out of. They're out there digging, doing very laborious work. There's other people packing them and burning the, the bricks or how, what, stones or if they're cutting stones out, they're stone cutters and somebody's rolling it. Uh, there's uh, supervisors, uh, you know, probably foremen, uh, you know, however they, they lined it out. Uh, whatever, you know, modern construction, there'd be an electrician there, there'd be a plumber there, there'd be, a, you know, different people that did different things. But all these people had to have the same outcome on their mind. Otherwise, nobody wouldn't do it. You know, a lot of times we see today, people have, have you ever had a job and you, you like really wasn't feeling it? You were just trading time for a paycheck? Okay, you weren't in unity with what they're trying to accomplish. You're just putting in your eight hours to get a paycheck. Okay, but these people had to be all on board. They, they had to, their heart had to be completely, in, you know, engaged in it. Their will had to, yes, we're going to build this thing. Their, their thoughts had to be, how can we make this more efficient? How can we get this thing done? And they imagined, they saw it as being done using my four components. And God said, these people have tapped into something that nothing will be held, held from them now. Now, if you just look at yourself, most people are not medically schizophrenic, they're just personality schizophrenic. They disagree with themselves. They, 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 they can't get a target, a goal, and go for it because, you know, I want this, I want this, this don't feel like it today, I don't want to get up today, I don't want to do this. And if we take the military and look at it, you go to boot camp. I didn't go to boot camp. I wasn't in the military, so I'm just telling what people heard of. TV programs I've, I've watched, they tear you down so you can they can rebuild you. They make you do a bunch of things that you don't want to do. They come in at three o'clock in the morning when you're nice and cozy in your uh, under your blanket and asleep, 
get you up, put a 70-pound pack on your back, and say, we're going running in the rain, 36-degree weather. They, they make them, so what are they doing? They're breaking their will. They're breaking their, their individuality to get them to work in unison with one another so that they can be a powerful military force. Okay, so, so when we come back, we see these principles of God. Now, verse 7 says, uh, God says, go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they not, that they, uh, not understand one another's speech. So, so at the core of this was an act of will, or, or God didn't come and destroy them like he destroyed Noah or the world around Noah. He just had to break the power of what they tapped into, which was the godly principle. So we, there, there's a driving force within us that if we tap into the way God designed us, nothing can stand against us, which is what he just said here. So, but we have to understand that at the core of the, these people here was an act of will. Yes, I want to get on board with this. But you know, this is really hard when it comes to the things of God. Yes, God, I want to do what you said. Yes, God, I want to get in alignment with you. My thoughts, my imaginations, my will, um, it's going to be an act of will that I'm going to walk with you. My heart is going to be totally into it. I'm going toward this, this purpose. And this is where we struggle as individuals because the power is in that component and that alignment, but it's not easy. It battles everything that we want and the things that we feel. And so, uh, uh, as I said last week, on the will... There's a power of the soul by which we determine either to do or forbear an action. It's an act of will. So all of our lives and where God is working, it, praise God that his mercy is renewed every day because he has to have mercy on us because it's an act of our will what we are going to do. Now, as I said before, we're all totally committed to doing something. Uh, we are doing, not doing as an act of will based on a desired outcome. Now, does that desired outcome have to be good? No, it's just a desired outcome. It's what you want for your life. And we all want something. We're, we're all looking at life, assigning meaning to things, and we're, we're pushing for a desired outcome. And those strong desired outcomes are what gears our thoughts, our imagination, and what drives us. Uh, if, if we don't, my, my dad said that uh, his grandma always said that she wanted to climb a tree and quit life. I mean, if you have a climb, climb a tree and quit life, life, life you're not going to do anything to make life the way you want it. So it's still an act of will, and it's still a product of hope. I don't want to deal with this. People sit around and figure out how they can rob a bank. Man, if I can pull this thing off and not get caught, I can have all this money and this and that. So the desired outcome is driving them, even though it's not a positive outcome that they're trying for. So we have to understand this, this hope. And, and hope, there's probably a lot of meaning that we assign to it. People say, well, I hope this happens. And it's just a word that they put into a sentence because they really don't have any driving force. Or um, we, we assign it to like visions and goals, which would be correct you know okay this is what i hope is going to happen i'm going to drive but this hope is really anything that drives us to do what we do so now how don't raise your hand don't answer this and don't look down 
Okay, how many people that being in the rapture of the church is a very active driving force to day-to-day life? Now, I would think that 100% of anybody that believes there is a rapture, and probably even those that don't believe in a rapture, but if it happens, I want to be in it. Okay, but, okay, but what are you doing to be in it? Well, I just want to be there. Okay, so it's not really a very powerful hope in your life. Do you see that? I mean, hope drives us. All you have, what, if you try to analyze what hope is driving you, just look at what guides your day-to-day decisions. Because we're all doing something to get something. Is, in fact, that's one of the things that Mark brought up is uh, the question that somebody asked him or, or said something, is the life you're living now the legacy you want to leave? And most people, I think, would, would say no, because they're not living to leave a legacy. They're living to get through the day. So if I'm living to get through the day, then my hope is what? To get through the day. That's what's driving me. How do I recycle this 24 hours and I'll do it again tomorrow? Or is my hope, do I have a clearly defined this? I've told people to do this before in activities is plan out your funeral. Uh, take, take two, three people that mean a lot to you. And, uh, and what do you want them to say at your funeral? <clears throat> Somebody that you just love or whatnot, and they're, they're getting up, you passed away. And I'm going to, what do you want them to say? And uh, because they, they mean something to you. Well, now, if you write down what you want them to say about you, you are you living up to it? So I, when I did this, you know, obviously it's Tiffany and Marissa, and uh, I, what did I want them to say about me? My dad was always there for me. Well, guess what that does to me? I have to be there for them. Because they're not going to say that about me if I'm not there for them. See, so a lot of people don't know why they're living or, yeah, you're all looking at me like I'm weird. <laughs> but, but if I know where I'm trying to go, now today I know what I have to do to get there. It becomes a driving force in my life. And, and when we're walking with God, the, the Bible talks about um, the will of, uh, or I'm sorry, the hope. In fact, I, I think it was, I, uh, I heard Lester Summerall say, <clears throat> I think there was 4,211. I might not be exactly right, but there's a lot of references to the will of man. That's like a lot of references in the Bible. But the Bible is, what I was going to say, is the Bible is very strong on this hope. I, I, in order to have the will and the determination to press through and get to the, the expected end of the hope, I have to understand what hope is. And I have to understand where I have placed my hope. Because let's say that your hope is really not, you, you know intellectually, you know you've been to church long enough, you know there's a heaven and hell. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And I know i got to structure my life, stay out of sin in order to do that. But what I really want, and I explained it over here, whatever that would be. Well, this is really my hope not this. That's why now when I look at my life, I can see all my time, energy, uh, you know, and, and, you know, my, my abilities are going toward what I want instead of what he wants. And that's where the scripture I read last week, that we can prove the perfect will of God. We have to abandon our will for his will. 
this is a very hard thing for people to do. Uh, but it's, it's in what I see in the word, it's where the word starts looking into us. So, so we have to understand this hope because this hope is a driving force within us. It anchors us. When we have hope, negative or positive, we have will and determination. Now go to Hebrews chapter 11. Is this making sense? You make any questions so far? I won't get too far ahead. Got a microphone over here. I'm trying to go through it, slow through this so that we can understand, because if we don't do anything with, with what we're hearing in the Word, it's, it's not going to work for us. Go ahead. So you know how um, the Tarot Babel, mm-hmm. it, um, it says that they all had one language, but like I have a language with my husband, and we don't understand each other. You know what I mean? Like, so... I say it again, because I really don't so understand what like you mean. I speak English, my husband speaks English, but there's stuff that we don't really, we can't, I can't make him see things that I'm trying to make him see. Well, th- this comes back to that if we can't see it, how can we get it? So, yeah, no, I think there's a lot of that that goes on, and I think miscommunication is a lot of problems within a lot of marriages. Uh, bec- well, it's not about marriage problems. Well, no, no, but I'm saying, you know, yeah, like but I'm saying like in marriages, marriage, it like is a lot. Kids, like parents do the same thing, like even though we speak the same language, English, we, we sometimes my kids don't see what I'm trying to get across or vice versa, the same, you know what I mean? Absolutely, so and like that, that's a communication issue. Like there's a guy that came to our church one time. Uh, he actually played, played the drums. He's really tied back in, connected. I mean, he came out of a dark rock and roll scene. He had long hair, and, uh, uh, and I'm not talking against long hair, but I believe that there was a connection between that and what he was struggling with presently. And so, uh, you know me, I'm kind of like bottom line to the point. It's like, look, we don't have to like sit and talk about things. We can cut this thing down to the chase. And uh, he was telling me one time, I said, cut your hair. I said, you've never came out of that lifestyle. Uh, he left the church, and... Uh, <laughs> went to another church, and the next time I saw him, he was doing he was doing very well. But you know what I noticed about him? He'd cut his hair. Now, somebody obviously communicated it better to him where he saw it than me. I just I have a tendency to bottom line things. I don't know just the way I think. I, I'm, I'm working on myself. Don't look at me that way. And uh, uh, but no, there are, there are communication problems. But don't you think the same is true as God trying to communicate with us, like through His Word? Because we can't see what he's saying. Uh, it, it, it's, it's going against our natural makeup and, and how we are. And so, um, uh, so it, no, it's a very real point. But this is where I come back to that we, if we're not hungry for it, how are we ever going to find it? Go ahead. Uh, but see, Pastor, the way you speak bluntly, like Pastor Peter, is, is I understand that piece. I understand that communication. And, well, and I, I think that we all have language. You know, I'm really not disturbed about it um, the <laughs> because I, I realize not everybody can understand me. Uh, I, there's, there's things that I can deal with that other people can't deal with. There's things that Peter can deal with that other people can't deal with. And just for the record, he's straighter than me uh, in his speech. And, and so I, I put a little more, more customer service in it than he does. And so, uh, uh, but... Yeah, so am I. And uh, we're in therapy. <laughs> the problem is we're in therapy together. And uh, 
you can't solve a, a problem from the same mindset that created it. But, but we encourage ourselves. And uh, no, but, but then somebody's not going to talk like somebody who talks flowery, you know, too blooming long. They're not going to connect with me. And uh, be, be, because, you know, four layers in, man, I'm gone. Uh, so, so it takes all of that. And that's the, the thing about the uniqueness of who we are. Uh, Tammy connects with people I can't connect with. I connect with people that Tammy can't connect with uh, because our personalities are so different in the way that we communicate. I'm not dogging any of it. It's just we all have personalities and we all have ways and there's people that we can connect with uh, better than other people. And we should be conscious of this. I, I need to pay more attention, not just bottom line. Apparently he had feelings about his hair and uh, I don't, obviously. Um, and so, you know, it's just kind of like, Hey, if, if something's connecting me to that, then I need to get rid of that. And I'm not dogging long hair or anything. I, I wasn't making a case. It was for him. I knew this, this was a connector point. Uh, there was a, there's a guy in here. You might remember his name. He's around the kind of the grandfather of recovery in this area. And uh, he went into his, in the lifestyle. And on the 27th recovery home, I think it was the 27th, wasn't it? It was like way up there. Uh, but it's like the 27th recovery home, he finally broke his drug addiction and stayed f uh, drug free the rest of his life. But the key factor was he shaved off his beard. He had his beard ever since he could grow and as a teenager. And, and a person told him, shave off your beard. And, but that was his identity. That was the problem. It was his identity. Our identity has to be in Christ. Same thing I was talking to this other gentleman about ended up being, I think, the same thing, looking how the story ended out. But... Uh, now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith works outside of church as well as it works inside of church. Did you know that? Yeah. Anybody with an element of faith, if you believe strong enough. Now, going back to Genesis chapter 11, the story of Babel, that was not a God's word faith because God separated them. They tapped in to a God principle not following God, and so he changed their languages. He didn't punish them. He just changed their language so they couldn't do it again. So if you believe strong enough in, in, in something, and it's the destination you want to go to, it becomes the building material. Your faith, your belief system becomes the building material of what you're trying to achieve. In the church, where I see a problem is people want a biblical outcome without developing the belief system that will bring about the biblical outcome. Let God do it. No, God has given you faith to create whatever it is that you're wanting to walk in. Does that make sense? So Abraham, for 24 years, struggled. I've been talking about him a lot lately. But he stopped struggling when he saw God as El Shaddai, the God of more than enough who can do all things. Once he saw him, El Shaddai, he saw beyond the situations he was walking through. And now he was fully persuaded. These, this God that's been dealing with me, I, I see it now. He can do it. I'm, I'm not going to be moved by any of this anymore. And he, at that point, he staggered not at the promises any longer. Our staggering comes from what we're seeing and our will and our determination to obtain what we're seeing is messed up because we're seeing the wrong things. We see inflation. We see the gas bill, the electric bill, 
the, the, the problems at, at work, they might be closing down, they might be laying off, they, this might be happening, that might be happening. And we see all of those things instead of seeing what God has placed in and being fully persuaded and confident to walk in those things. So in order to, perf to properly believe, we have to see. So now let's take it out of the church realm for just a minute. Anyone who has ever accomplished anything significant saw it before they ever attempted to do it. Thomas Edison, electricity, harnessing, you know, cre create light, failed thousands of times. But he saw the outcome that gave him the will and the determination to keep, keep doing it. And he said, no, I haven't failed. I've just going 3,000, 10,000, whatever it was, ways that it doesn't work. But see, we, we, we step out in business and it fails and then we back up into safety because now I can't see myself doing what other people are doing. And God said you can do all things through him. So we, we've got to shift. What is, what is our hope? What is that driving force within us? Are we in a, that hope could be protection. That could cause me, because of fear, to isolate myself, to not move out. Or it can propel me to do great things. Oh, if you go back through through history, you know, the Alexander, the greats of the world and, and things like that, they just believed they could conquer what was in front of them. Now, it wasn't a godly belief, but it was a belief system. And they could see themselves doing what they set out, which gave them the ability to not get distracted by the stuff that came up in the middle. Once seen, will and determination will kick in. Now, as I said before, we've all done this. It's usually the reason people are in debt. Because they see something. And, and marketing, we're the most marketed to nation in the world. And marketing is great. Who, who in the world would spend, how much money do they spend on Super Bowl commercial now? Anybody know? I mean, millions and millions of dollars for 30 seconds. Budweiser's in there every year. What person in America uh, doesn't know what Budweiser is? Yet they'll spend millions and millions of dollars to advertise, but it's not spending. It's a cost of acquisition because they know that they can drive people to do what they want them because people will see what that picture that they plant in their mind. You, you know, you're, you're 75 pounds overweight, you know, gravity's taking its toll on you, you can barely walk, and then you, then you see this beach with these fit people walking down in bikinis and Speedos. And you, you all of a sudden start seeing, even though you know when you get there, you're still fat. And, and, you're, and you're not going to lay out on the beach or anything like that. But, but they got you to buy it because you saw yourself into it. We've all done stupid things like that. I remember one time Wendy's came out with a hamburger. It was like on a Saturday and there was a commercial. I thought, man, that looks good. And it got me thinking about it. And uh, I thought, this is like on Saturday or on Friday or something like that. And I thought, I'm going to go there on Monday. And then it came back and, and, and I saw it again. It's like, that, that is a really good looking burger. And uh, I thought about that thing all weekend. You know what happened Monday? I couldn't wait for lunch. <laughs> and you know what? I went down to Wendy's. You know what I got? One of the worst burgers I've ever had. I thought, man, they conned me into this thing. It wasn't even good. I don't even know if I ate the whole thing. Um, <laughs> So we've all done this on, same, on some level. It's not like we can't do it. It's just the direction of where we want to go. What is that driving force in our life? So go to Romans chapter 8. 
Okay, Romans 8, 24. For we are saved by hope. That's an interesting statement. Now, remember, it's not saying we're born again by hope. Now, born again is part of the saved package. So, yes, we are born again by hope. A hope that we, we will bypass hell, go, go to heaven. But we are saved by hope. So, every element that we need salvation in. Sickness and disease is attacking your body. Something's attacking your money. Something's attacking your kids or whatever. It's hope that's going to bring salvation, deliverance in that, that matter. Translation, you're going to have to see beyond the current circumstance, which the hardest one is if something's attacking your body because you're feeling it right now. But I'm going to have to see me well on the other side of this for my faith and my, my push to get through it. We are saved by hope. Then if that's a true statement, then it has to also be true that we are damned by hope, perverted hope. I can't get through this. I'll never make it. That, that's a hope. This is not going to work out for me. I, there, there ain't no way that we can get through this. This way people take their life is, is an extreme loss of hope. I'm going to end this because there's no hope of, of anything changing. It's why, why, why people file bankruptcy. There's no hope of getting out of this mess. I, I, I got to find a way. Somebody help me get out of this because, because I have no hope. Hope is a very powerful thing, and we can have perverted hope also, which is just basically a negative anticipation of what's going to happen. But God says we're able to overcome all things. So if we can't see what, whatever battle we're facing, if we can't see the victory on the other side, how are you going to have the will, determination, and power to fight to get to the victory? And this is where, like, like I, I go back to Mark and Julie's message, which was very powerful. Give up all this kind of stuff. Come follow me and let, let's go do something. What are we going to do? Just follow me. And, and they told that story. But this is where it all breaks down. Because now they had a hope that God would be faithful in what he was calling. But most people don't have that hope. Less than 2% of the body of Christ tithe. Why? They have no hope that God's honorable to his word. A large, I don't know what the percentage is. Well, the one that Rod Parsley gave off, only 12% of confessing Christians go to church. Or no, 12% of Americans go to church. So 78% of uh, Americans have no hope that church will do anything for their lives. Thus, when they get into a decision-making process, what's going to drive them? Where their hope is. If I don't really have a hope that this is going to benefit me, at least I have a hope that I can enjoy this. I'm going to go this, this route. And this is where the struggle comes in into our life is the alignment of where our focus is. Most people, I don't think, are really honest with themselves about what they're doing and why they're doing it. So hope naturally seen is not hope. Hope spiritually seen or hope seen beyond what is naturally seen is where hope operates uh, according to this verse. For we, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. So in this, this the, power, the power of this hope is beyond everything that we naturally see. So if we're operating in a realm and making decisions based on what we're naturally seeing and feeling, then we're not going to even 
enact this spiritual power of hope to get us someplace because I'm more concerned with what I'm dealing with right now, how I'm feeling right now. Now, I'm not picking on anybody here because, like I said, this when I started tapping into this last week, it, it messed me up uh, because I, I had to start looking at myself. And this is one of the things that, that we all have to do in, in our lives is you don't just listen to the messages. How does that word apply to your life and what do you need to adjust to get into the to that word? And so um, you, you go back into um, deep pocket lawsuits. You ever heard of that? You remember the lady at McDonald's? She stuck hot coffee in between her legs. It spilled. She sent a bunch of money out of McDonald's, uh, even though she probably would have been mad and went back if the coffee was cold. We, we have no personal responsibility in the American culture, or very little, and people want to sue somebody to, for every little thing that they deem that somebody else did. We walk through a parking lot. We, we, uh, you ever seen one of those little stumps for the parking? Like, are they foreign to you? Do you know what they are? Do you know if you kick it while you're walking, you're probably going to land on your nose? Okay. But, but people will walk through a parking lot, trip over that, sue them because they put that there. And they had to put that there because the city made them put it there. And then they would have, if they wouldn't have put it there and they, they crashed into the, uh, the store and broke down the wall, then they would have sued them for not putting it there. Because, and, and not only is it that you've injured me, I want a lot of money from you because I have no hope for my own life, that, especially for a Christian, that, I, that God will provide for me and that I'll live. So I've got to get it from somebody else. Th- this hope drives us. There, there is now a hope of money through them, perverted hope. I'm going to sue them. So if we really, there, there's something that drives us in every decision, in every circumstance of our life. Are we wanting to be driven by God's word or not? And that's a personal decision everybody has to make. And really, I'm not, I'm not really talking about whether you're born again or not born again. What I'm talking about is the quality of life that you live. And are you frustrated in life? Every time I've asked the question, how many feel that God has more for them in their life? Almost everybody in the the room raises their hand because we all sense that, that God wants to do more for us. We're just afraid to follow him. We're just afraid to hope and, and be put at risk that what if it doesn't work? We are so adverse. Have you ever had a faith failure or like somebody turn against you? Like you went out there and it hurt emotionally. That doesn't feel good, does it? And because it doesn't feel good, we then lose hope that we can succeed out of fear of experiencing something like that again. Now, who's the victim? uh, Who's the prisoner in that scenario? I am. And, And I'm not free from the pain of the past. So verse 25 says, But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience Wait for us. Now, this word patience is the Greek word. I can't pronounce it. Hypiponis or something like that. It means steadfast. Well, you, you can't be steadfast without an act of your will. Steadfast kind of paints the picture of fighting a battle. You're, you're standing against something. You're steadfast. You're not going to be moved. There's pressure coming against you, right? Well, that, that's not like the fun place to be. But this word means that, that if you hope, 
you will you have now the will and determination you now have the internal to stand against what's ever coming against you because the hope is real in your life i see this there's no quit in this i'm committed to this i'm i'm going to bring it about in this thing I, i'm focused on this thing the other word that this uh word patience means is endurance it it comes from determination for the prize in order to endure you have to be so determined that you're going to gain the prize. Very, very few people, probably 97% uh, of the United States, because only th about 3% are really mastering their, their lives, at least financially. And financially is not the only barometer, but if you're not mastering your life financially, you're probably not mastering your life in any other of the arenas of life. And, and I'm probably going to get into that next uh, Wednesday and try to show how uh, these these components really there's only seven components of life that you have to master and most people are not mastering probably none of them they might be strong in some areas but I if we don't have the determination to master life in these areas how do we think other areas are going to be we, we we've got to have this endurance that goes into it so um let me just close up here so so i come down to how do you rebuild or build hope Ha, ha, just, just be honest. How many people have seen areas in your life that you know there's no hope there that's going to change? A lot of people live in the realm that, and I'm not talking about your whole life. I'm talking about maybe this arena of life. There's something in there. Uh, maybe it's your money. You think, well, this is what we got. This is what we're always going to have. We're never going to see anything better than this. Or maybe it's your health. You've been sick for you know, 15, 20 years, and it's like, this is just my lot in life. Those are no hope statements. Let me ask the question again. How many has at least one area in your life that you know that you've kind of given up on hope for it to turn around? Okay, a few more hands. Where, where do we start? How do we start? Uh, let me just kind of open this up. James, you got a microphone? Anybody got some ideas on how you start? If you don't have hope in an area, how do you start? Pray. pray. Okay, uh, bring, bring up here to Tanner. But let me take prayer. If I'm praying for hope and I don't have hope, how effective do you think my prayer is? Or how much faith do I have in that prayer? Now, you can have faith in it, but I think that if you just pray and don't put, don't really look at where you're at and am I, do I really believe that this can happen, then, then I'm doing an activity that's not going to produce that much. Go ahead. Maybe a word is simply spoken over you in that area or... Uh, you're just promised or something. Okay, well, let's go. Pause, pause a second. Oh, what were you just now about to say? You go back to okay. it and read it and get it before your eyes and keep saying it and speaking it. You know, I'm just thinking about like some of the things like, um, you know, the Dr. Barkley um, spoke over the church, over you, and it's like, you know, not everything has happened yet and it can get laboring. You know, it can feel like it's taking forever. But sometimes when you get those words back in front of your eyes, it starts rebuilding, you know, the excitement and the, the you know, the Absolutely. it's going to happen. Yeah, so um, if you've had, you know, in a, uh, a church setting, somebody spoken a prophetic word over you and, uh, and it connected with you and you were believing for it, but it took so long you started letting it go, go back and revisit it. Start rehearsing it until it starts lighting a fire. But even in a non-spiritual element like that, maybe you had a dream that because of life, it's now, yeah, that's never going to happen. Go back and revisit the dream. Do the same thing. Go back and rehearse it. Read it. Uh, so on and so forth. Go ahead. Well, kind of along that same line is what I was going to say. In, um, 
can go back to the promises in the word of God that have promised you and meditate on those things and pull them back into your spirit uh, with light. Yeah. Long as in line. I think Carol had her hand up behind. Oh, uh, anybody else? Uh, Peter up front. Personally, I've got to find out what hope is for me. And um, the second thing I learned to do, kind of like what Tony was saying, is that I need to build up. From that point on, I need to ask God something because I don't know what it is. I need you to open up the eyes of my antenna. I, I want to see and I desire to see something different activated in my life. I actually have been uh, suicidal, you know, back in the day, where I had ide- uh, suicide ideation, and uh, that changed once God began to tell me what what that was all about. And so that sparked another hope I needed to see. And uh, Bill Wilson said something really interesting. He was talking about in his book, actually, talking about meditation. Whatever I'm meditating on is the thing that either is going to kill my hope or it's going to help develop my hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, meditation is a big one. What do we think about all the time? If we're not willing to move out of the position that we're in, then it's going to be hard to, to walk into any other position. Anybody else? Or nothing that was said here was, well, I just switched to, to thinking positive thoughts and everything changed. It's like you've got to stir it back up. Or translation, there's a process you've got to go to. This is one of the hardest things to go from hopelessness into hope is it takes energy and focus. And what do you not have when you don't have hope? You don't have energy and, and you, you're not focused. Everything is, is, is moving you. So, yeah, so you have to come. So my first element on rebuilding hope, because I've got several and we're, I'm out of time, uh, but I'll just go through this. We'll read the last verse. We have to understand that God grows us before he promotes us. He promotes us. In other words, we're not going to just jump into our hope without a growing process in it. That's the hard thing. You know how we grow? Through hardship. It's difficulties that grow us. It's not easy that grows us. Easy, the easy makes us lazy. The, the, the difficult makes us grow. Growth battles the will. Our, especially when we come to a place of hopelessness, we lose our will, our drive. And hope comes in, and it starts trying to engage the will to, act, to activate, to move toward the hope, but the hope doesn't have the energy. So, so there's a battle that goes on there to move into hope, to try to, to, to go forward to wherever we're going to go. If will is powerful, we must come to a place that we can control it. So if God is going to move us into the place of his promises, we have to have the will that's disciplined to not abuse what he gives. That's the growth. Now go to Philippians chapter 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, he, which is God, which has begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So here's a, here's a good verse for meditation, a good verse to... Um, to memorize that God stands ready to fulfill in you what he started. If we don't reach that arena, it's because we gave up on him. And life can look hard. Life can look like it's all over. Life can look like there's no way that this can happen. But Jesus stands ready to fulfill it until the day of his appearing, until this thing is all over. 
He stands there. As soon as we engage, he gets engaged. Now, I'm not saying that the answer is just going to fall on your lap and it's not going to take any effort on you because he has to mature us to walk in his promises because otherwise the promise will destroy you or you'll just get flaky and get back into the same situation that, that we were in before. So there's a process that we have to work out, but if we're going to get our hope back restored, one of the things we have to realize is this is not impossible because Jesus stands ready to do it. Let's stand. You know, the, the thing about this that I guess I probably would just really reiterate, it takes effort on our part. If you go back, just coming off the, the ministry that happened over the weekend, uh, Mark and Julie, if they, even though God called them, even though God, you know, everything that they're doing now, if they would not have walked away, they would never be where they're at today. And you got to understand, don't, don't you know how hard that would be to walk away? Your life is set. I mean, they're making good money. They're traveling around the world vacationing. I mean, they're set. And God says, come here, I want you to do this. Sell our house. Do this. And I, I thought that was a really good point he made, made when he said, only the gardener sees our beautiful garden in the daytime. Spending money, building something, having something great, and never enjoying it. But now when he moves out, talking about all the things that are happening now, we... It, God wants to do something great with this body of people. It, it's going to take us stepping out of our comfort zone. That's the hard thing. That's always been the hard thing. Uh, Jesus talking to the rich young uh, ruler and said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. He walked away. He was sad. I mean, it, it's been the battle of life, uh, of what God asked to do, takes faith to do it. It's not comfortable. A lot of times it's things that we don't like because he's got to grow us up. He's got to He's got to build something within us to walk in the things that he's created. But but people have a tendency to run every time it gets a little bit uncomfortable. They don't like the way something was told to them or whatnot.